So you say about classes and everything, I've spoken to a couple of VOs and they always recommend taking classes. It's pretty much essential, isn't it, for voice artists to start taking classes if they want to take it seriously? Yeah, and I think when I started, I might have been a little skeptical. I had the really good fortune that I go to an event called Wasteland Weekend, which is basically, it's a post-apocalyptic party in the desert. Picture going to your friend's costume party, except this is in the middle of nowhere, and you pretend it's Mad Max. It's a lot of fun. And one of the organizers of that event, Jared Butler, is also a screenwriter and a voice actor. And he's usually the double of Johnny Depp, anytime Johnny Depp's not available. And like I said, this industry is really stupid small. I go to a costume party. You know, Johnny Depp's double, whatever. This is normal out here. Um, So I befriended him, and I was lucky enough where he picked up on my my talent and my interest, and he really pushed the VO classes. And I, I didn't understand until I got in there. It's its own vernacular, because when you're... This is not like development. When you're doing an audition or you're on a job, you don't really get second chances. You're kind of expected to do it right the first time. If you don't get it right the first time, then hopefully you have a good booth director who can sort of understand, ah, I know what you'd understand. Try it like this, and they'll they'll actor whisper you and put in the keyword so you can get the line right and we can move on. Because it's, you know, it's paid by the hour, yeah. or by the session, and nobody wants to waste their time and money. So you don't get to develop. Outside of the very special cases where, say, like in video game terms, like, you know, uh, Ken Levine over at Irrational is very passionate about bringing actors on into the story process and to really have them be present during development so they actually can develop a character together rather than, yep, yep, here's the first time you're seeing the script, we're in the booth, and go. And that's where you get very disconnected reads. When I took classes, I didn't understand how much I didn't know even though I directed, I directed and I thought I knew everything and I didn't know anything about what it's like on the actor's end. So what happens is you learn to make choices and be extremely confident about them. You learn what people really mean versus what they say. There's a whole terminology like when someone says, do it more announcer, th- then they're encouraging the typical announcer read where it's very disconnected and we're all doing this kind of silly voice that nobody actually talks in. <laughs> yeah. It's actually very out of fashion now. And when they say casual what they really mean is just kind of throw it away. You know, we're just having a conversation. Like most commercials, it's like, don't you want your iPhone to do stuff for you? Yeah. We just kind of throw it away like we're taking a nap. You don't really know what that means until you have to hear it and then produce it and produce it in that one shot that you get. Thank you very much. Move on. So, God, I can't recommend classes enough. I really can't. Especially with never take a class with someone who doesn't come with a referral because you don't know what you're buying and they can cost quite a lot. So I, I personally recommend um, Richard Horvitz to the nines. He was the voice of Invaders M, and that was another great Google moment for me. I just happen to be a super fan of him for Invaders M, and I look him up and lo and behold, he teaches classes in Burbank, two hours away from me. So I've gone for several rounds, and he's also responsible for my voiceover demos on my site. Completely life-changing. Because if you're with a good teacher, especially someone who's also a voice actor, they just cerebrally manipulate your brain to actually understand. Your job is to translate either little to no information off a sheet of paper with sentences that could be read an infinite number of ways and to actually deliver what they want when they don't know what they want. It is hard. It is hard to do. It's it's got nothing to do with intuition. You really do need somebody to kind of gear you towards it. And the best examples I could see is that the most prolific, successful actors, when you see them in the booth... They're like wild Bronco Mustangs, and they just take off. They make a very, very clear decision, and they're obviously buying it. And you're so enamored with their performance 
that if it's if it's reaching you, you just kind of let them run. Yeah. If it's dead wrong, then you'll stop them. But until you stop them, they assume that that you're approving because you're so entertained. Yeah. And they'll just run with it. And then if the client's happy, that's great, and you can all go home. But if you're very unsure and, and not confident about what it is they want, they can hear everything in the mic. Everything that's going through your head, it's actually being picked up by the mic. And everyone will be frustrated and no one goes home happy. Yeah, I mean, everyone always says that your emotions always come through in your voice acting. So you have to really kind of disconnect your life from the booth. So that when you go in the booth, you're just, you're the voice acting. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing right now. Forget whatever else is happening. That's hard as hell. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. It's quite hard to disconnect in an instant. Just get in there and just kind of go for it straight away. Yeah, and then completely throw yourself into whatever it is, whatever universe and whatever story it is that they're presenting. Richard was really great about enforcing this idea, but even when you're reading commercial copy, like if it's for a bank, there's still a story there. And I, I have to confess something. I really didn't care about story until I started voice acting. I was a big, ad well, as a, you know, as a gamer and as, as a movie nut, I could forgive anything if the visuals and audio were there even if the story wasn't because I still, you know, had something to walk away with. And that was, that was okay. I really, I just couldn't give a toss about story. And then once you become an actor, your entire life is story. It's completely your success or failure is dependent on your understanding of the damn story and whether or not you can empathize with it. And if you can't, it's done. You can't forget it. And so I, until I was a voice actor, it really didn't hit me. And then I played Bioshock Infinite and then story really hit me. Oh my God. And ever since basically those two things kind of coinciding around the same time. I'm very deeply affected and interested in, in chasing down story. Cause once you see it, you can't unsee how important that is. Oh man. If you give a, a hollow read and you have no idea what the story is, it'll, it'll be really terrible disconnected. So opera acting. Yeah. I remember Sorry. some old, some old games that, uh, yeah, the voice acting had uh, left a lot wanting really. <laughs> well, old games, a lot of, I mean, you know, like I was saying earlier, the, programmers were the artists and the artists were the voice actors and yeah. everybody was just trying to get it done under budget at whatever cost uh yeah if you were a warm body and now um you know games that have the budget are are bringing it they're not necessarily bringing in hollywood actors they're bringing in actors that can really bring the character to life i mean case in point we're at that point where we want it's not just facial capture motion capture it's full capture now yeah you know that's that's the goal is getting the whole performance and then just shoving it in the game and sticking it on a model avatar style and then you've got cases like poor uh, michael ironside who got replaced for a splinter cell because right. he's just not physically capable of doing all the stuff they wanted to do so they replaced him with an actor who they felt could do it all and do full capture it kind of sucks for some of them because um, the whole idea of voice acting sometimes is, I guess, like, right, I don't have to do all the acting jargon. I don't have to look good. I don't have to be physically able to do all this crap. So Yeah, well, for, for the games that can, I mean, obviously not everyone can afford it because that, that stuff is still really expensive. And when you get those contracts as an actor, those are the most lucrative, by the way. Those pay the most. And there's things like uh, guaranteed pickups, so there might be additional sessions. So that's even more money. So that's very exciting on the actor end. But on the, on the publisher end, it's pricey. So there's still there's still room to be a schlub and not necessarily you know be a typecast. You you still have to get um typecast and NVO. A lot of people talk a lot about <clears throat> branding, 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 and what they mean by branding. Like last week, I thought this was really interesting. This always happens to me when at least two people in my professional circles say the same thing. 
I really pay attention. A few years ago, two different friends, unrelated, said, you should really go take improv classes. I thought, wow, okay, and I did it. Yeah, that, it, by the way, if you're going to go into voice acting, take improv, because that yeah. will teach you to think on your feet and make very definitive decisions. So how does um, that work? It, I mean, obviously improv is improvisation, but I mean, how? I mean, do they just get you to say whatever, or you just make stuff up for a while? Oh, man. Well, every, every improv school is a little bit different. I went to Upright Citizens Brigade, and I picked them because they're a little bit more modern, and they're sort of, they're the new school that came from the old school, and that was uh, founded by people like Amy Poehler from uh, Parks and Recreation. Talk about, talk about psychobabble and everything coming out of your mouth. The craziest thing about improv, you think you're making stuff up, but when you're asked to go on with a scene partner and start a scene, it's scary how often you'll start with something that happened to you that day. Yeah. And it's almost like a therapy exercise where yeah. it's on your brain anyway. You didn't disconnect, and now it's coming out your mouth. Well, now you got to roll with it. And now you have to rely on your scene partner, partner to take it somewhere, and you have to follow them because your job is to make them look good mutually, and which comes into play hugely in voice acting, like especially if, say, you're, you're doing an ensemble recording so there's two or more of you in the room at the same time which is great because then you get a very real session versus you know talking to no one in a void and then matching up voices and having this weird robotic conversation imagine if if your intent isn't to make your your partners look good you'll start talking over each other and the people start getting pissed and then maybe you start trying to outshine one another and then there's an increase in volume because you're trying to outdo one another and then that's just a disaster that's just a lot of egos improv teaches you to have no ego it's not about you at all it's about you making the people around you look good and if you're in the vo booth by yourself it's about making your client look good i mean it's not unheard of for an actor to go in there and just start either making faces or talking trash about the script that that doesn't really go over very well you know it's, it's stuff like that 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 might seem really obvious but we're only human people can be very reactionary and you got to learn to transition that into something that's actually useful react to the story don't react to what you think of the script or the clients, or whatever, because that's a sure way to kind of get yourself out of work. So yeah, one so one time that happened, that was improv, which I, I highly, highly, highly recommend you get involved in an improv group or improv school. Nope. The other time that happened, a couple weeks ago, two different casting directors both mentioned their annoyance with encountering people. And this is great, by the way. Um, you should follow some audio guy. It's his Twitter yeah, handle. Yeah, I follow him, yeah. God, yeah. It, he, did a, he posted a... <laughs> a podcast recently that he did with a lady whose name escapes me. And he, <laughs> it was crazy, like within days of each other, he and Stephanie Shea, who's a great voice actress, casting booth director, and super fun to work with, they both mentioned their annoyance at people who come in and say, I can do anything. I can do anything. I can do anything you want me to. I can do everything. <laughs> here's, here's the scoop. That's not true yeah. for anyone. And it doesn't matter what you do. Literally, what you do on this planet, you cannot do everything as exceptionally well as you think you can. But you can certainly excel and specialize, which is what you should do. And then that becomes your branding. The equivalent to that, like, say, for a sound designer, and this is this is really true. This was one of my personal frustrations when I was a sound designer was I felt I didn't fit in because there were a lot of there are a lot of sound designer archetypes. Or they're almost like cartoon characters. There's the frustrated rock star. There's the guy who was in a band that never took off, so he just took a job, you know, doing sound because it was easier money, and he's always bitter about it. Whips out his guitar, starts playing it late at night, drinks at work, goes home to, you know, his wife or cat, whatever. So that's one type. There's the frustrated film director, people who went to film school and then never kind of took off with their film stuff. So 
they vicariously live through either game designers or people that they work with in post. Yeah, I can go down the list, but there's a lot of of that type of stuff. And the reality is it's because that's what they wish they had specialized in. Or, you know, you meet maybe in the game industry composers who would much rather be writing music all day. But they they do the sound design for the paycheck and they hate it and they're very reluctant to get to, uh, and they're difficult to work with because they because they would really love to be conducting their own music all day and sometimes it really benefits yourself and those around you if you just follow your heart and own up to the fact that you can't and don't want to do everything. The reality is in voice acting or or anything. I mean, here's an example. Like, say you you go to apply to a game company and you're you're an artist and you're like, yeah, I'm an artist. I'll do anything. They're like, oh, that's. Do you want to be an animator? Do you want to work in effects? Do you want to be a 3D modeler? Do you want to? What do you want to do? Any? What do you got? Anything? Well, that's repugnant. It's completely repellent because it yeah. shows a lack of focus, a lack of uh, determination to specialize. Because each of those things has a very long, lengthy, in depth level of specialization you know if you try to do all those things you'll kind of suck at all of them and it's the same thing in voice acting going to say i can do it do you, do you want do you know animation do you want promos do you want i can do all of that no and it's even worse when you also say i can do all the voices the mel blanks mel blank who did bugs bunny and all that stuff yeah, yeah. the looney tune guy even he couldn't do everything not you know he probably couldn't do women's promos as a guess, <laughs> for example. So both uh, both Juan and Stephanie mentioned their annoyance with that because as casting directors, they can't do anything with that. It's not useful for you to say, yeah, I, I can do anything. Well, that's great. I have a, a part uh, specifically. I need someone to do a tough guy on a, on a military game. Yeah, I can do that. Oh, uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> and then what if you get in there and you can't do that? And so what, what happens in voice acting, like with anything, is that when people get typecast, it's actually a good thing because it means that the people around them, like the agents and the casting directors, have figured out what they're good at, at and now they're capitalizing on it. Yeah. Even if the actor gets frustrated, it should be complimentary to be, you know, a repeat offender at this thing that people are paying you to do, you know, versus feeling lacking because you don't get to do, quote, everything. You should definitely apply that to sound design. Like, don't don't feel bad if you're a frustrated composer, but really your compositions kind of suck. <laughs> you know, well, you gotta you gotta embrace that because uh, yeah, yeah. people take it very personally when they're told that they can't do everything. But it's that doesn't mean you can do nothing with voice but... acting. I gotta tell you, it's not about being quote good. It's about the ramp up, definitely with the education, but then understanding what it is that you're good at. Like yeah. again, you know, you can't. You can't show up and be like, I'm James Earl Jones, because there's already James Earl Jones. But you can definitely be you and be extremely successful at it. I think most voice actors would agree that the large majority of jobs that you actually book are you using your natural voice. And and some, it's hard to get over that insult because you think, but I'm, I'm a voice actor and I can do anything. Look, I can talk really high and I can talk really low. Well, yeah, but you know, there's there's always something very unnatural about that. Yeah, because that, you're not being your natural voice. It comes no. across that someone's putting a voice on. Yeah, so. and subconsciously, <laughs> subconsciously, people pick up on that. Yeah, even if it sounds good or funny. And so the majority of jobs go when you're just being yourself. Because it's not just there's the frustration of being useless about saying I can do everything because that doesn't help someone place you because everyone wants you to win. Your agents want you to win and get parts so they can make money. Yeah. So they're going to do everything to support you. So they can make money. And that's great to have people at your back so they can make money, so you can make money, so everybody wins. Um, but in order to do that, they need to understand 
you need to help them and help yourself understand what it is that makes you happy, therefore what you're good at, therefore what you'll make money at. So Juan talks about when he is at uh, Abrams, it's so much simpler rather than sending out a spec, a character breakdown of like, uh, you know, we want someone who's really kind of irreverent and funny and sarcastic, but also kind of full of himself, but also kind of like really devilish, but also handsome and also just really fast talking. Or you could say Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Or you could hire Robert Downey Jr. Done. Done, pay the money, move on. And that's why, you know, sometimes when celebrities get deals like that, it's not just, oh, it's a celebrity. They're actually doing the characteristics that the client is looking for. And that, that's nothing personal. And that's why, you know, a lot of experienced voice actors and casting directors will also say, you should be yourself to the nth degree because that's what's going to sell you because nobody else is you. Everyone else is already taken. You know, I think that's an Oscar Wilde quote, but it's absolutely true. So that's that's why I'm saying like good isn't really a, a meter of measurement in VO. Good. Are you good at being yourself? I hope so. Because that's all you need to be. That's all you need to be is good at being yourself. And you have to be confident and comfortable being yourself in front of other people. That's also tricky. So Juan talked about, he mentioned this anecdote about working with Zoe Deschanel. She's only good at being Zoe Deschanel, but she does it so well, you know? So he did some VO audition with her and she nailed it because they wanted a Zoe Deschanel type. And she happens to be the woman and she did so well. And he said... It's just such a difference when someone walks in, those celebrities walk in, know that you want their product. You want the Robert Downey Jr. or Zoe Deschanel, whatever. You don't want anything else. So you just want them to be themselves because you think you know what you're getting versus some young pup who's like, oh, whatever, what do, what, do, what do you want? I can do anything you want. Just, yeah, I'm desperate. That desperation doesn't help. It puts people off and they don't know how to use you. It's bad both ways. God, yeah, that was a great interview. And I just, I love that I heard it from two different people in the same week. Yeah. It's so true because I'm I'm going through my own phase of trying to figure out quote my branding because it's important to know that actually happened to me yesterday. I had a, a session where I didn't know I didn't realize how much they'd hired me to be myself again being you have to be comfortable with being yourself. I was doing a product and I my voice got really producty. I'm trying to sell you the thing. Don't you like the thing? And they're like, no, 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 make it more casual. And it got to the point where. I had to be told, like, I'm talking to someone in a store, casually, in my jeans and flip-flops, and they loved it. They loved it so much, and I, I was like, wow, thank you. You just gave me permission to be myself in the worst way possible and pay me for it. Okay. So, that's really what it's about. Bradley D. Baker, or D. Bradley Baker, rather, has a website called I Want to Be a, a Voice Actor.com, I think, and he talks about that a little bit. Also, Yuri Lowenthal and Tara Platt have a book out that I've... I've halfway gotten through it and they also talk about that as well about like Yuri mentions most of the jobs I book are me being me. Yuri Lowenthal who's kind of a big name who started in in anime has he's sorry Yuri he's probably like in his mid-30s or something but he's he can sound like a 16 year old adolescent boy and his voice is kind of permanently stuck there and he's mentioned how you know he used to be really self-conscious about it except people kept giving him money to do it just kept getting and so he finally kind of learned to be comfortable with that and embrace it and now he's like yeah I'm happy money yes I will be me. So Richard Horvitz, too. If you watched Invader Zim, you're familiar with I am Zim and all that stuff. Oh. If you watch it, Richard has a very particular voice. And he likes to talk about when he was starting out in his voice acting career, he thought he, he was going to be the next Al Pacino. Or no, Al Pacino? Yeah, Al Pacino. They just idolized Al Pacino. Not with that voice. But then that voice led him to so many animation jobs and video game jobs. And people want him for that voice. 
It's it's weird. It, it just applies. Uh, a lot of voice acting I found is hugely analogous to life yeah. in so many ways. Completely outside of superficial philosophy of, of acting and all this stuff. It, I use it every day. Like the concept of being comfortable with yourself and not overselling yourself and trying to make other people look good so it benefits you on like all that stuff it's very very circular circle of life stuff 